Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport. I'm Alex Crook alongside the Daily Mirror's assistant editor, Darren Lewis, and the former Chelsea FA Cup winner, Scott Minto. Coming up, we take a deep dive into a chaotic few days at Stamford Bridge, ask if the FA are right to publicly back Gareth Southgate, and we'll be looking ahead to the Lionesses' latest Euro 2022 warm-up match. We'll also be bringing you right up to date with the latest transfer, movers and shakers, including why an emotional move to Cardiff could be edging ever closer for a Welsh superstar. All that on the podcast that parties harder than Jack Grealish in Las Vegas. This is Game Day from TalkSport. On the subject of Las Vegas, Sam Atterface is currently partying hard, hence the fact that we've got Scott Minto instead, but Darren Lewis, an able replacement. Absolutely. Um, Terrific to have him here uh, to keep us in check and... uh, Actually, I'll say what I said off air, really, because he does bring a lot of class to proceedings. Um, and obviously, he's the best looking of the three of us, too. <laughs> so so Aaron, much I love. love. I loved you before. I love you even more now. I can't believe Sam's in Vegas. Is that right? That is right. But I don't think he'll be going full on Jack Grealish, um, to be honest. I'm sure he'll be tucked up in bed by 11 o'clock every night with a cup of cocoa. Well, actually, I can bring you um, some Brooke. We've got some photographers uh, from the Daily Mirror out there covering something else, and they've got pictures of Sam in just his trousers in a casino. He's lost his shirt, and he's trying to win it back. (laughs) (laughs) I really Um, wish that was true, honestly. Uh, On the subject of losing their shirt, what about Chelsea and Romelu Lukaku? Is this the worst transfer of all time? You pay £97 million to sign him, and a year later, you let him go on loan for €8 million. Euros. I, I don't think so. I, 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 I'll, I'll go first on this one because I think we've seen some... Listen, the Premier League's been going for 30 years and we've seen some shockers in that time. Uh, and Chelsea themselves have paid big money for players that have not worked out. Shevchenko, um, Bakayoko. I mean, goodness me, where is he? Um Whitson Bohada, who they were paying to fly in from Amsterdam for training, and he'd fly back again after that. Uh, and that's just at Chelsea, and I've barely scratched the surface as far as they're concerned. Um, Tottenham signed Brian Hill. You know, he probably played twice, if that, and he's now on loan and he's set for another loan again. Um, 
I can remember Alfonso Alves, you know, scoring lots of goals in Dutch football, coming to Middlesbrough looking like a, a fish out of water. I mean, and, and these are just ones I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure you, Scott, can pick up and think of far more. Well, you've really put me under pressure there, Dal. Now, <laughs> I mean, uh, what kind of question is that, Crookie, to start off with? Is, is this the person the worst signing of all time? Look, I, I do get it, though. It's it's a heck of a lot of money. You know, I said um, I, w- I was on talk on, on Wednesday night and saying about how I was actually quite a little bit disappointed in, in Thomas Tuchel that he didn't find a way to make it work. Now, I'm more disappointed in the player himself. And, you know, we can talk about that. But... I just feel that he, he, or I felt he was going to be the cherry on the cake uh, with the signing. And now I'm hearing more and more people saying, oh, why did we sign him in the first place? Or we shouldn't have been signed. Well, I didn't hear many people saying that at the start of the season. The bottom line is you've got a player who needs to be played to a certain way and seems to be, seems to be unwilling to adapt. And while if that's the case, then I think Thomas Tuchel has done the right thing. Just get him out. I, I feel that actually you've also got Thomas Tuchel who's saying, I'm not willing to adapt to the way I want to play. You know, it wasn't just about the interview for me. It was is clearly in day-to-day training. He's not showing exactly what he wanted. Um, but I still think a, a fit and firing Romelu Lukaku would have been absolutely superb for any team in the world. So that's why I'm disappointed. But look, I understand the question. It's what, 97, 98 million pounds his goals return is not that bad. He was still top scorer in all competitions for Chelsea. Um, so it wasn't a disaster. When you look at Didier Drogba as well, his first season, maybe even first two seasons weren't great. But you do feel that Thomas Tuchel said, I'm not having him. He's got to go. I just want to add to that as well. I mean, because I do agree with what, what you said there. Scott, I'm a little bit disappointed with the player in some respects because there are, the Premier League, you're talking about worse signings. What we've seen in 30 years of the Premier League is a number of players come to this country, have nightmare first seasons, and in the second season, really show what, where that money has gone. Um, I've just finished reading Patrice Evra's, um autobiography, and he talks about the first season himself and Nemanja Vidic went to Manchester United and they were all over the place. They they struggled massively. And Ever himself went on to win five titles in the Champions League there. Um, and we all know what Vidic did in a Manchester United shirt. So but I, I would have liked to have seen a bit more fight and determination to prove his critics wrong from Lukaku. I think as far as Chelsea are concerned... I remember when he did the interview at the time, and actually, and and this went very much against the grain, I defended Lukaku's right to speak his mind. He wasn't a kid, he was a senior player, being bought for £100 million, and uh, the team weren't playing the way he'd expected them to play. And when you make that investment, and when you are a senior player, you have the right to speak up. If Ronaldo does it, if Messi does it, some of the superstars of European football do it, we 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 understand because they are big players with the goal record behind them to be able to do that. So why could he not do it? And it does beg the question: Who bought Lukaku? Was it the club or was it Tuchel? Because there is a disconnect between both parties, which has left Lukaku in the middle, not being able to find his stride, not being able to be confident in a Chelsea shirt, and ultimately going to Inter. Do you know what, Darren? Sorry, Crookie. The only thing I'd say to that, I do agree, 
when a senior player and that amount of money has been spent on the player comes out, if the manager doesn't see that coming, then as you, you know as a senior player, if you're a young player, 18, 19, it's a mistake, he's a kid, he doesn't know what he's doing. You're right, he is a senior player. And yes, he does have the right to come out and speak, but he also has to realise that he, that what the repercussions of that will be. Yeah. And if you haven't spoken to your manager and he seemed really surprised about it, which he did, that's going to have some problems. And then if you then don't go and knuckle down, because the apology afterwards was looked like it was, you know, okay, I'm really going to work hard. I've always wanted to play for Chelsea. It didn't work first time around. I'm really going for it now. But we didn't really see that. And yes, he could certainly argue that the team didn't play to his strengths, but it just feels like he's causing problems where he doesn't need to. Do you think, Scott, that's because they didn't change the way they played afterwards? I I always remember the Man City game um, at Stamford Bridge and he made so many runs and Ziyech couldn't find him and Pulisic couldn't find him. And in the end, they just gave up because uh, the the team, even after that, were just not, after the interview, were just not playing to his strengths. Uh, And eventually, as a striker, when you realise that's not happening, you basically give up. You can't give up, Darren. No, I mean, indeed. Indeed. You can, quite, you can be frustrated and you can, but I'm telling you now, you know that the cameras are on you all the time from minute yeah. one to minute 90. And if, as long as you can turn around and say off the pitch, look at all the runs I made, even in the 89th minute, and I still didn't receive the ball, then people will be on your side. The moment you do give up, then people will throw out wrongly, he's on this amount of money, he's doing mm. the, no, he's not doing this. Just don't let give people the ammunition to do that. So you can be frustrated. You can go behind the scenes. You can speak to the manager. The manager might even turn around and say to you, I'm, I'm not changing my style. You've got to change yours. You can be really frustrated. But the moment you go on that pitch from minute one to minute 90, you cannot give up. You have to give it everything. I, totally I think from agree. what I'm told, his performances in training were a source of frustration, not just to Thomas Tuchel, but maybe uh, even to his Chelsea teammates as well. Ultimately, it came down to a power struggle, didn't it? It was Lukaku against Tuchel and this is the new Chelsea owner really backing his manager I think personally it really ramps up the pressure on Thomas Tuchel after what was a pretty underwhelming season for Chelsea he isn't the only high profile departure from Stamford Bridge this week we've had confirmation uh, that Bruce Buck and Marina Graniskaya are also moving on Todd Bowley Darren effectively has made himself the de facto director of football that's bonkers isn't it well, I, I think one thing that helps him massively is that <laughs> the, 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 it sounds as though Marina Garaskar has lined up a few deals already to help him on his way. Um, but there are lots of deals still to be done at Chelsea. Mason Mount needs a new contract. Reese James needs a new contract. There are rival clubs sniffing around both of them. I know Barcelona, like Mount in particular, a great deal. Um, Jorginho needs a new contract N'Golo Kanti needs a new contract there is a lot of expertise that is going out of the door with Marina Granovskaya a lot of guile in terms of negotiations a lot of ruthlessness and a lot in terms of the bigger picture with Chelsea and the Premier League so Todd Bowley in charge as a de facto, de facto director of football I mean Scott, you can probably give us a bit more insight into what 
negotiations entail and why she was so effective. But from the outside looking in, she looked like someone who nine times out of 10 got it right transfer wise, got it right in terms of not giving players new contracts. And and the one I can think of, the best example I can think of is William. They didn't want to give him the two years that he wanted. Arsenal threw money at him and gave him those two years and he stunk the place out. And he was one of a number of players you know, with whom she did good business. David Luiz, £40 million they sold him for. It was a fantastic deal to PSG. Marina Grauskaya did a great job since coming in in 2010. She was a director in 2013. And I I don't want to write off Todd Bowley straight away because he does have sporting expertise. Uh, We know that from his other franchises, but they are big shoes to fill. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think she's been great. I, I, the one big mistake I think she has done is to let Antonio Rudiger go. Um, and, and for, you know, Thomas Tuchel to come out the, towards the end of last season and say, no, well, it was all about the sanctions. And no, 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 that sh- I'm sorry, that should have been sorted. Yes, he didn't play under Frank, but the moment he had such a good season last season or the previous season, you know, we, he should have said, like, let's sort it out. And I feel that maybe Marina felt that, being a defender is is not quite as sexy as being a striker, and and you know I can left back's the least sexiest position on the pitch, but centre back is not very, according very, to Darren. <laughs> centre back is very very important indeed. It's 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 as important as a as a centre forward. But look, you, you mentioned a few of those things. There's Oscar, the money they got going to to China. There's Edin Hazard when he only had one year left on his contract. You know she got some fantastic deals. So. I do think it'll be a big blow. It sounds like she's still going to be there for the next transfer window, you know, to talk over things. I think what it does is one shows that Todd Bowley wants to be his own man. um, And he needs to be careful in that because you're right, Darren, there's so many things going into an English football club that, you know, American sports and other businesses, it's just not the same. But I also think it gives incredible power to Thomas Tuchel. I think he'll be leaning on him a lot and saying, what do you think? You know, what do we need this guy? And if we do, let's let's push the boat out a little bit more. This season or this summer, more than any other, is a massive, massive one for the new owners to make a statement about where they're going to be. Because the last pretty much two decades, money's been thrown at players and, and clubs to bring players in. So... I, I think even if Chelsea have to overpay a little bit for certain players, and we know that you know, they need a striker, they need two centre-halves, maybe a midfielder as well, uh, and you're right down to bring up all those who are coming close towards the end of their contract. If you have to overpay a little bit in the beginning to make sure you keep up with the big boys, then just do that. And, you know, and then going forward over the next few years, you can maybe tailor it to how you want budget-wise. So it's a big summer, but I think it gives more power to Tuchel. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, what the one thing I would throw in, I know a couple of my colleagues um, are reporting that there is interest from Chelsea and Manchester United in Michael Edwards, the, the um, director of football whose time is coming to an end is going to be replaced by Julian Ward at Liverpool. Uh, and clearly his expertise would be invaluable at a club like Chelsea, um, particularly given what we what we agree is is a huge amount of business that needs to be done. Not least because Spurs have totally revamped their operation behind the scenes under Antonio Conte. They're a club that 
that is now not geared to a top four place, but they're looking at a title challenge. And if you look at the points deficits, I know people always laugh when you talk about Spurs and title challenge because of what we're used to historically. But with Conti, every time he has won the title, he has wiped out huge points deficits at Juventus, at Chelsea and at Inter Milan. And I think the way he seems to be reshaping the side and the condition that he manages to get his players into suggests that you've got to take them seriously next season. Then you've got Liverpool with their recruitment. Then you've got City with their recruitment. So I agree. Chelsea have to get it right in this window. If they were to let Marina Grauskai go early and all of those deals that need to be done were remained up there and they were uh, being handled by Todd Bowley, I, goodness me. I mean, that's like, I was... Remember Arrigo Saki, the great Arrigo Saki, talking about when you give people too much too soon in football, and it would be like learning to drive and making your first car a Porsche. <laughs> Where are we at with Raheem Sterling, Darren? Well, he wants to come, um, and City are relaxed about allowing him to leave. He's clearly not going to get any contract there. There is this really curious, curious, fascinating statistic that players who get to the final year of their contract nine times out of 10 do not sign anyone in that final year, particularly elite players. And so I don't expect him to be signing a new one. The, it's now just about how much he goes for. Uh, City want around about £55 million for him. Chelsea want, uh, believe, £35 million would be more realistic, particularly when you consider that Sadio Mane went for a similar fee. Um, he clearly has a point to prove but uh, City are going to change the way that they play. They're Grealish, they're going to invest more time in him. They're going to reshape their attack with Julian Alvarez as well as Erling Haaland. So he's on his way. It'll be interesting to see if a couple of other clubs come in for him, but I don't think they've got the capability to kind of, if you like, recalibrate as Chelsea do. Sometimes they have a nightmare season, they bounce back. It big style. Um, and the only thing I would say is, Given all we've just talked about in terms of a period of upheaval for Chelsea, the transition, I, I just wonder if Chelsea right now for Sterling, if it were Chelsea with Marina there and um, Bruce Buck there and the whole operation as it was, and you know what direction they're going in, you know what they're going to do and you know how they're going to do it. And they've got a blueprint and a master plan, great. But you're taking a chance on Bowley to be able to steer this ship. I'm not so sure. Um I'm not saying that they're, you know, they're not a great place to go because clearly they are. But look, Scott, you're the player. What goes through players' minds when, you, when, when you're in a situation like the one that Sterling is in? Yeah, I mean, first of all, is that right? So City haven't offered him a contract? Yes, uh, they've offered him a contract, but clearly it's not he's one not that um, he feels he wants to sign um, and there's been no movement on it. At all. No, and, and I think it's probably not a monetary thing. I think he wants to be playing and he, and he hasn't been playing and he hasn't been playing really almost or as much as you would like to for the last couple of seasons now. I, 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 still, I still put Chelsea right up there. I really do. I know what you're saying about Todd Bowley and we, we, we just don't know. So at this moment in time, we don't know which way he's going to go because the fact he wants this power. I do think he will lean on Marina. I think he will lean on um, Thomas Tuchel as well. I would still look at what Chelsea can offer on the pitch. And I don't think they're 19 points away from the league champions. I think they, they, they were poor in the league. 
but I, I think the gap is, is realistically probably about 10 points. So what we're looking at is a new striker to come in, um, two centre-halves to come in. And if Chelsea can get Raheem Sterling as well, I think that'd be an absolutely superb signing. Now, if I'm for Raheem Sterling... Scott, Scott, you know, when you have these offers, and, and for people listening, I always say these deals aren't done in a week or two weeks. You know, you're, you're generally aware of the interest months ago and then it crystallises and then you wait to see if other clubs come in. Would you wait or would you have, if you're if you're Raheem Sterling and, and you've clearly been in situations before where you, you've had that kind of decision to make over what clubs you want to join, what what happens? What's the process? Well, I, I remember, I mean, we're talking a long time ago now, Darren, but I, when I was at Charlton, um, Arsenal were, were in for me. And, and all season, I thought I'd be signing at the end of the season for Arsenal. I met up with George Graham, um, didn't have an agent. And he sort of said to me, look, Nigel Winterburn had to wait 18 months for Kenny Sansom. You might have to wait the same. Now, if you remember Colin Pates, who was a Chelsea player, went to Charlton, was a captain when I was there, went to Arsenal and didn't really play that much. And I just thought to myself, I can't wait 18 months. I've got to buy some time. I knew Chelsea are interested. So I bought some time and ended up signing for Chelsea. Now, it's a very different scenario for Raheem Sterling because obviously he is who he is. He's a superstar and, you know, a fantastic England international. I mean, in, in terms of coming back to London, I, I don't think he'd be overly bothered because he hasn't been in London for, for most of his career. So I think he's, he's someone who's very adaptable to different places. But I do think that the lure of London would, would, would be a positive. I also look at Chelsea and think, you know, how, how is it going to be sold? What, what's the project here with the new owners? Which way are you going to go? So that's a conversation I would want to be having. I'd almost want to be interviewing them, not them interviewing me and saying, look, where are you going with this? I want to see what else you're, you're, you're wanting to do. But I genuinely think it's a fantastic fit. I really do. I think Chelsea have a lot of attacking midfield players and I think quite a few of them have not achieved what they should be achieving. There's only really Mason Mounts who I can turn around and say, and maybe Kai Havertz as well, who's saying, you know, definite in the side and doing really well. I think Raheem Sterling would improve Chelsea. I think if you get the other centre-halves, and I do think they need two, and maybe a centre-forward as well, I think Raheem Sterling would be thinking, I mean, where else would he go? You know, he can't really go anywhere else in the Premier League. And is he the type of person, I've talked about being adaptable, is he the type of person to go abroad? I went abroad and I loved it. Uh, but I, I don't know. You know, you, again, you're talking about the real big teams around Europe, Real Madrid, Barcelona. Barcelona haven't got the money. So where would he go? I think Chelsea is the perfect fit. I really do. As long as the, the conversation he has with Todd Bowley is a positive one, which I, I would believe would be. So it would work on the pitch and I think off the pitch as well. Coming back to London, he, I'm sure he'd love it. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson. Hi, I'm Millie Bright. Hi, my name's Lotta Vibben Moy. Hi, this is Chloe Kelly. And you're listening to the Women's Euros. The Women's Euros. The Women's Euros. On TalkSport. Downward header from Paris is blocked and then the shot is fired in by Williamson off the crossbar. And Ellen White has tucked it in. And would you believe it? It's Barisa going for goal and finding it. What a strike from Barisa. Cuts back onto her right foot oh. and finds the net. Vivian Miedemar. Starting as she means to go on. It's so exciting. I, you know, I can't tell you how excited everybody is and, and how much everybody just wants to be involved in this squad and this journey, really. I think at Home Euros is, 
a home tournament of any description, but home Euros is is up there with bucket list kind of things, isn't it, really? I mean, it's what we kind of dream of playing as young girls, so we're all so excited. I think Old Trafford, what a venue to have your first game at. I think just for women's football in this country, it's going to be huge. On the road to the women's Euros, live on TalkSport. Well, we are going to be looking uh, in a lot more detail at the transfer market later in the podcast, but there is a live game uh, this Friday, live on TalkSport, 8 o'clock kickoff. Uh, the Lionesses against the Netherlands as England, of course, continue their preparation for the upcoming European Championships. Delighted to say uh, the part of Talk Sports team uh, for the tournament, uh, Shaban Ahern joins us now. Uh, Shaban, thanks for coming on the podcast. First of all, how big a step up in opposition is this for England on Friday night? This is the one, I would say, Alex. This is the real test, this game. Um, Suna Wegman, as we know, used to be in charge of the Netherlands, won the Euros with that squad. So for her tomorrow, going up with England against her former Europe winning side, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, I expect to see lots of action, certainly a lot of goals. See if this is a boring game. I think we should just quit right now. (laughs) <laughs> it is only a friendly, but but given the, the connection between uh, Serena and the Netherlands, do you expect it to have a bit more feist about it than y- your standard warm-up match for a major championship? It has to. You know, the Netherlands were absolutely outstanding. You know, that's why she is one of the best managers in the world, because what she was able to do with that side. So, yeah, I definitely think this could be a very interesting game. She knows many of those players very well. She's also developing strong relationships with the England players as well. We know that um, well, what, I, what I believe is that when Serena Wiegman has her team, you know, and once you're in with her, that's it. You're pretty much set. So she knows a lot of the, the, the players from the Netherlands very well. And you've got some star players in there as well. You know, you've got Champions League winner, Daniel van der Donk, formerly at Arsenal. And of course, Arsenal, the goal, Viviana Miedema for the Netherlands as well. So going up against the likes of uh, Beth Mead, who also plays alongside her at Arsenal. Uh, I cannot wait for this one. I know you say it is a friendly, but I feel this is the one that really matters. And if we're talking about the GOAT, um, we should look no further than Ellen White. How big a blow is it for the Lionesses that she's been sent home from this game, having tested positive for COVID? And is there any danger that she may now miss the start of the tournament itself? I would say it's a worry. I would say it's it's more, it's more of a shame for Ellen. You know, you get to this stage in your career, she provides every time. Okay, she's had a bit of a quieter season this season, but she steps up. She's got that experience and that composure to step up to the big stage and provide every single time. And that's what I feel the Lionesses might lack in having that around with the likes of Steph Houghton not being there as well. Um, Ellen White was that kind of next go-to person in terms of experience. Um, and of course, she's just a a brilliant attacking player so I think she will be missed I hope she recovers because it is here on her doorstep she deserves to be uh, fighting fit to you know to go out and just be on the big stage One of the other stories that caught my eye this week was Fran Kirby talking about her issues uh, with fatigue I think she went to some quite extreme measures uh, to get herself fit use of an oxygen chamber how big a role will she have to play in the tournament? She's pivotal. I mean, the fact that she missed the end of the season for Chelsea had us all wondering, what does this mean for Fran and the Euros? You know, she she's just such a massive player. And again, she's somebody 
you know, who, who just links up so well with the team around her. And she's somebody I watch and I think enjoys her football. You know, she's always playing with a smile. So for this to happen and what goes on in the background when she was, you know, she she came out and said that she had a heart condition and then this struggle with fatigue and not actually knowing the full ins and outs of, you know, the problems there. I think it's a huge worry for her. And again, it's a situation when you look and go, she's the player you want. You know, she's the one that she's the star. And for her potentially missing out in this, I'm... Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. It's great to hear that she's going to the extreme measures that she's going to. It shows how hungry she is. You know, we've seen her come back from an injury before and... I don't know if you've seen the the DAZN documentary on at the moment, um, One Team, One Dream, and it it shows that comeback for for Fran Kirby and what she did coming back from from a really bad injury and the lengths that she will go to to be the best. And I just think she comes across like such a sound person and and having her back in the squad for the Euros is, is, is exactly what they need. How big a worry is it though for for the Lionesses that we're talking about two very experienced players, two players who've contributed so much to the women's game in this country over the last few years that that both have had their issues going into such a major Mm. tournament, a home tournament? Yeah, no, it it is a worry. And then you you miss the like, Steph Horton as well um, and, I, and I, from what I believe you know she's devastated not to be there as well with the question marks then over Ellen White what's going to be happening to her um, and then of course as well with Frank Kirby will she remain strong will she be able to get through it I still look at that team Alex and what a, what an absolute stunner of a team it is you know it really is an unbelievable squad that you've got there and so much young talent as well that we've seen provide week in week out in the WSL there's a chance you're not even going to see the likes of Alessia Russo feature a lot at the, at the Euros. I would say she's been one of the standout players in the WSL this season. It just shows you how good the bench that Serena Vigman has as well. She's got, her, she's got her star players. She's got 11 of them out there. And then she's got some great players on the bench as well that she can turn to. The only thing is, is it's that being able to step up in those big moments, you know, are those players ready for that yet? Have they had the taste, you know, on their own, home ground of stepping up to the plate and and knowing that we can win this you know have they had that yet I don't think they have um but a, a great squad anyway 
There's been a bit of talk this week as well about the fact that uh, the Lionesses maybe aren't playing at the biggest stadiums in the country. Mm. And maybe that's a bit of a, a regret of the organisers that they they didn't, given how quickly the tickets had sold, they didn't pick bigger venues. I actually disagree with that because th- there are some great venues in there. Of course, we're going to be at the Amex, the, the first games at Old Trafford. I mean, I cannot wait to go there. As a Manchester United fan as well, I cannot wait for that opening game. You know, then the final is going to be at Wembley. You're going to hope, of course, England are going to be there. You know, there, there's the stadium, of course, in Manchester that um, is uh, Manchester City's home stadium. And that's an issue for the likes of the, the travelling teams like Italy playing there, Portugal. They're not able to bring in the crowds that they would want. You know, that's a, a, a limited uh, attendance of 5,000. That's not fair for them. I think that the Lionesses have, have the best stadiums around them. And it's great to hear that they're filling them out. But if they don't fill, you know, they've, they've, they've sold out the final and, and whatever anyway. But if they don't fill out these group games, then why would you want bigger and better than that? You know, I, I think we should be focusing right now on the standard um, of the women's game in this country, not, not the shape or size or, you know, grandeur of a stadium. And just finally, I know you're going to be with uh, the Northern Ireland team for the tournament. Mm. How are their preparations going? How do you rate their chances? It's a tough one because Northern Ireland, I just love their story. The fact that they're there, Alex, you know, so many of their players, not I think it was two full-time players when they qualified for this tournament. The rest are uh, working in hospitals. Two of them are mums. Um, a few of them are working on the front line throughout the pandemic and then would turn up to training at, say, 7 o'clock, finish at 10 and go and start their night shift. The story of Northern Ireland being at the Euros, I think, is the standout one for me. Their manager, who we know is a bit classic here and there at times, he's a bit partridge and he says things that he shouldn't. And, <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say at the tournament because the girls accept him for who he is and his actions, Kenny Shields' actions, you know, I've taken them to the Euros and they've also caused a massive backlash as well when he said that, you know, women concede more goals because they're more emotional than men. So the whole story of Northern Ireland, I think, could be a great one. Will they get out of the group? They're, it's slim. You know, the, the chances are slim to none. But I think the fact that you're going to see these, these incredible women, you know, who have real jobs, you know, who have never had this opportunity before. I think the average age of the, the squad is like 31, 32 this is their time. You know, this is their moment. You're just going to see them turn out and enjoy it. I can't wait to see their families as well. I'm, I'm half Northern Irish and I was back home, well, back, you know, in the summer um, at the beginning of June. And I was speaking to my friend who's from Northern Ireland. She was like, well, we've got a women's team. But what's this? What's this crack? And I'm like, how can how can we not? Like, you know, the country's such a, they've never been here in this position before. So they're still catching up. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. I, I can't wait to just be there and support them. And I'm so excited that I get to host those games for Talk Sport, those group games, because I'm going to be going full Irish hell for leather. A reminder of that game, the Lionesses against the Netherlands live on Talk Sport this Friday, uh, eight o'clock kickoff. Let's hope they fare better than their Mao counterparts did during the Nations League. Uh, Gareth Southgate this week, given a vote of confidence effectively uh, by the Football Association. His chairwoman, Debbie Hewitt, said this, uh, based on any facts on the pitch, Gareth is the most successful England manager we've had for 55 years. The people don't see the culture he's created. Prior to Gareth being the manager, there was not the pride of wearing the England shirt. There was a club rivalry we would read about players not getting on. He's changed that beyond recognition. I've seen that for myself. I've worked in business and Gareth's skills, his high IQ would make him a chief executive, she says, in any organisation. 
Do we want a chief executive, Scott, or do we want a football manager? Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't get any of that, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think it shows a bit of naivety. I think it shows a bit of inexperience. Um, but the last thing Gareth needs is someone trying to back him. I mean, just back him by not backing him. Do what the Queen does. Just stay quiet. And, um, you know, I, I, for me, Gareth Southgate, look, I think what he has done has been amazing. I, I think he does have his faults. I think the, the in-game changing things, I, I think, is an issue. And we'll have to wait and see how it goes in the World Cup. But what he has done, Cookie, honestly, when we think about where England were, you know, 2016 and, and even after, you know, what happened with Big Sam as well, it, he's got the country liking the team again. And now it feels like there's a little agenda of, of wanting to not like the team again. And I, I don't like that. I didn't see the point in the Nations League. Um I, I can understand why he didn't do it. And it's very easy for me to sit here and say he should have done it. But I've said this on Talk Sport before. I don't think he should have picked any of the players that he thinks are going to be serious candidates for the World Cup, for the Nations League. Just give them time off. It's five, six months away. And then if you play the youngsters or different, different players, if it doesn't go well, you can say, well, look, I've just been trying to see who could make the remaining six or seven in the squad that haven't decided. I think he's learned. I think he has learned what's happened in the nation, Nations League. He's learned what he doesn't want, and actually, probably what he does want was always what he wanted. So, in that sense, I'm, you know, I don't really see the point of uh, of her coming out and, and trying to back him. Uh, Darren Simon Jordan uh, unusually was quite outspoken on this uh, on Wise and Jordan in the week. Uh, he was adamant that the FA made a mistake uh, by dishing out a new contract to Southgate before the World Cup. Do you see where he's coming from? Um, it, it, it's difficult because listen, this is not about what, what Simon does or uh, Simon does or doesn't think. This is about the fact that if you look at what Southgate has done since he took over, he's made England watchable again. He's made them attractive again. The first part of what Debbie Hewitt said was all fine. The chief executive and, and all. <laughs> that was just nonsense. I mean, and, and you, you know, I think all of that you can put to one side. But I think if you look at the bigger picture in terms of what Southgate's done, he's done a good job, and he would be entitled to turn around and say, "I deserve a new contract." Um, and anybody who had done the job that he'd done over the last couple of tournaments, over the last six years, would be entitled to turn around and say, um, "I deserve a new contract," because. You know, I think we all agree, and everyone listening to this, the, the basic thing about uh, an England team is with the talent that you have, you've got to go deep into tournaments. At the World Cup, they went deep into the tournament and they were very unlucky to go out. At the Euros, they went to the final and they lost on penalties. He is improving the team. He is improving the culture. He is improving the relationship between the nation and the football team. I can't, the last time I remember scenes like 2018 and 2022 in this country was at Euro 96. And so we, I don't understand what it is with, with, with our country that every time we seem to be edging towards positivity, we find a reason to shoot ourselves in the foot. And I can't add to that negatively. Listen, for full disclosure, Scott, um, Alex and I on previous um, podcasts, we, we've talked about England. And for me, all of the matches we've just had are meaningless. Mm. He's looking at players. He's trying to find out what works. 
He will never in a million years be judged Southgate on the Nations League. He'll be judged on what he does at European Championships and World Cups. And so he is using those games to see what works, to see who wears the shirt with confidence or for whom it weighs heavy. So for me, and, and added on to all of that, the players are shattered. It was madness to play in all four of these games at the end of this season. So I, I simply cannot buy into a scintilla of the idea that he is under pressure. I think in footballing terms, all he will want to do is evolve the team from a safety first outfit into one that likes to express themselves. If he can do that, he's fine. I think what we can uh, see from this statement, the words from Debbie Hewitt, is that he still uh, very much has the backing of the FA. Whatever happens at the World Cup, I think Gareth Southgate uh, will be the England manager for a long time to come. And let's face it, he does look good in a waistcoat, so he looks <laughs> he looks like a CEO. Rafinha is on the perimeter of the penalty area. He runs up, stutters, stops, and slams it into the top corner. It is Bale against Sillison. Bale steps up and he yes. scores! Brilliant penalty from Gareth Bale. It's free in the box. Ericsson! Christian Eriksson scores his first goal for Brentford. Here is Grealish now with a great run into the penalty area, plays it low, and it's turned in by Gabriel Jesus. Manchester City have a third. Setting your overlapping fun! Terrific save by Pope. Wonderful stop by Nick Pope. Son Young-Men is denied another Premier League goal by a brilliant save by Nick Pope. Okay, it's that time of the pod where we look at the latest movers and shakers in the transfer market. Lots of activity, uh, even though we're, what, uh, two weeks into the window. It's going to be a long transfer window, I think, for a lot of supporters who are desperate uh, for their clubs to make new additions. I want to start, guys, with Gareth Bale. Now, there was a, a great exclusive by one of the local Welsh papers, pictures of him departing the Cardiff training ground, having met Steve Morrison for the first time. And that tallies with some information that I was given um, earlier in the week, that Cardiff are actively telling potential new signings that Gareth Bale is going to join them this summer. What do we make of that, Darren? (laughs) Does it show a lack of ambition for Gareth Bale? Is it simply now about staying fit for the World Cup or is this an incredible coup for Cardiff or maybe a combination of the two if it happens? Um. I don't think it's a lack of ambition. I think it's an acceptance that he's no longer the player he was. We talk about Gareth Bale and we get all starry-eyed. He's been an outstanding footballer in the Premier League. I covered him when he was at Southampton, when he went to Spurs, he couldn't get into the team and then he exploded and he made that ascent to being one of the best players in the world, the record-breaking transfer to Real Madrid. And he has lived the dream. He he fought his way out of Spurs um, when Daniel Levy wanted to keep him. Had he stayed, he'd have won nothing. But he fought his way out and he's won, what, four Champions Leagues? I mean, to win one, five, to win one is the stuff of fantasy. To win five, I mean, (laughs) goodness me. So now he's no longer the player he was. If he was, bigger clubs would have been in for him. So I think we kind of just have to reluctantly loosen our fingers on that. 
grip we have on the idea that he is still an elite player. He isn't. He's going to go to Cardiff to stay fit ahead of the World Cup. And that pretty much is that. It's a great move for Cardiff, but I don't really see it as being much more than that. It's a great move for the EFL as well, Scott, if it happens. They'll be absolutely delighted. It is uh, fixtures release day as we're recording this pod on Thursday morning. Cardiff against Norwich on the opening day of the season. Could that be Gareth Bale's homecoming? Well, I mean, to have one of Britain's greatest ever players playing in the EFL and, and, and for Cardiff to have them, I think would be an incredible coup. And it's an interesting point that, that Darren makes. Um, is he the player? I mean, only he knows. <clears throat> what, what kind of physical state is he in? Because I think from the outside looking in, it is actually a complete lack of ambition. And I think when you think about what he's achieved, and don't forget, I covered um, every single Real Madrid game for four years. He wasn't there for the full four years that I was working on it, but I covered his, his, his winning goal in the Copa del Rey, which is incredible. Um, uh, you know, just to some of the goals that he scored with those front three and, and for him to live up to the pressure um, of what I think is the biggest club in the world is nothing short of sensational. And I, I, honestly, I don't want to be overly critical about him because what he's done has just been sensational. I think any player growing up it would have achieved a tenth of what he achieved would just think, I've been, I, you know, I've had an amazing career. But I've been disappointed with him, I'll be honest with you, for the last few years. The fact that he was willing to sign uh, for a club in China when he was still in his 20s, which was clearly about the money, I think shows a lack of ambition that he's had for the last few years. I think he's fallen out of love with football. I think he's only in it for his country, uh, Wales. I think we've seen that he's been quite happy to sit on the bench. I think it's unfair to throw the golf at him. You know, in footballers, you get a lot of free time. You're allowed to play golf. But I just feel that it's almost he was once he signed that contract or a couple of years into it, it was like, I'm going to stick to the end of this contract and I don't care whether I play or not. And that, I don't, look, I'm not having a go at him for that. It's an opinion, but I think it's disappointing. And I think if he is in any way half the physical specimen that he was just a few years ago, he really should go to a club like Newcastle that's going places, that has a great project, you know, that could be really exciting. I just feel going to Cardiff, that's saying my club career is pretty much finished. I'm all in it now for the World Cup. And then what happens afterwards? For Cardiff, it's even if he's only got him for, for six months, and obviously we'll have him for longer than that, it's a great coup. It's fantastic. It raises the profile. There'll be shirt sales, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what does it tell us about Gareth Bale that really he's going to an EFL club when he's been one of Britain's greatest ever players and he's only 32 years of age? And I know the fact that I know the fact that he's made it so clear, Darren, before you come in, that, that he is solely focused on staying fit for the World Cup. That's put off a lot of Premier League clubs. I've spoken to chief executives and they've said to me, we would take Gareth Bale in a heartbeat, but he has to prove to me that he 100% wants to join our football club. Yeah, I just I just feel that Gareth has nothing left to prove. Um, he's done what he set out to do in the game. And on the one hand, I can understand, I can't, kind of contend with what you're saying, Scott, because you speak as a footballer, you speak as somebody in the game. So I, I, I can't really contend with it. I can only say from the outside that I look at Gareth and we never know what's going in, in you got on in you guys' lives. Um, so it, it, it's very hard for me to, 
kind of cast any kind of aspersion on his decision-making pro- process. All I would say is that what we know is that he has a huge affinity, and rightly so, for his country and all things connected with it. Well, let's move on to one of the other big transfer stories of the week, the future of Rafinha. Uh, we know that Leeds United have rejected uh, a very low offer from Arsenal for their Brazilian midfielder. His heart, I think, is probably set on a move to Barcelona, but let's hear from a man who is a bit more expert on the subject of South American football than me. Here's Tim Vickery. Do Arsenal want both Hafia and Gabriel Jesus? Does that mean that Gabriel Jesus is a, num- is, is a number nine for them, a centre-forward for them? Because if not, Gabriel Jesus really likes wide right, yeah. which is Hafia's uh, position. In Hafia's shoes, if it's not Barcelona, there must be a temptation just to stay put. Because of the World Cup. Mm. Normally, go. But, yeah. you know, let's not rock the boat. Tim Vickery there, TalkSport, South American football expert. Really interesting point of view um, on Rafinha's future. And Scott, I think you, you probably share that view. If he's not going to get his dream move to Barcelona, he's better off staying at Ellen Road. Well, I, I, I said on Talk on Wednesday, um, he's got to think to himself obviously he's what 25 I think now so the next contract he'll probably sign it will probably be a five year contract that will take him up till, till he's 30 so it's a really important time sort of long term but actually because the World Cup's just a couple of months away he's really got to think about how do I get into that Brazilian team and stay in he's done really well when he when he has got in and, he, and if he goes to a, a Chelsea or an Arsenal I think he will play in an Arsenal side but you, you just any kind of move that you make, you're not quite sure how it's going to go. So with two years left on his contract, Leeds asking for what, 65 million or whatever it is. Why not wait another year? You know, you're going to be the star of a side, you know what you're getting um, at, at club level. So therefore, I'm a, certainly I would have a conversation with a Brazilian national team manager and say, look, if I stay at a club that's kind of bottom end Premier League, are you still going to play me? And if the answer is yes, well, I would give it another year at Leeds. That price, therefore, with only one year left in his contract will probably be halved and then he can choose where he goes because he do- probably does want to go to Barcelona. I can under- I'm not South American, but I would have loved to have gone to Barcelona. I-, I get it. You know, it's a it's a sexy team. It really is. So, look, Barcelona will be able to afford him in a year's time. At the moment, they're probably struggling. So I think it's a win-win all round. I do think it's added an extra dynamic to this transfer window, the fact that we've got a World Cup in the middle of the season, take Nick Pope and Dean Henderson, for example. I think Dean Henderson is going to go to Nottingham Forest because there's nobody else who is willing to offer him guaranteed first-team football. Nick Pope was always going to leave Burnley because he needs to be playing in the Premier League regularly, I think, to force his way into the England squad. Which one of those two, Scott Minto, do you think is going to be back up to Jordan Pickford and Aaron Ramsdale, who I think, barring injury, are absolutely nailed on to be the top two goalkeepers. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it will be Nick Pope and I think it should be Nick Pope. I think it's amazing that the kind of drop for Dean Henderson, which in, in a way is partly not his fault because obviously, you know, he he was out with, I think it was COVID, but also injury. Um, but at the same time, wasn't that long ago, he was seen to be right, you're the future Manchester United goalkeeper. But when he played for Manchester United, you know, he, he, he wasn't quite as confident as the way he comes across at times. And I've heard some stories that he's a, should we say an extremely confident lad? And of course, you have to be being a goalkeeper. You really do. It's a, it's a horrible position to be in, especially when you make a mistake. But I think Nick Pope has been superb. I really do. I think he, you know, if it wasn't for him, Burnley wouldn't have gone down weeks earlier. I think the saves that he makes, 
Um, and I think if he does join Newcastle, that is that is the start of something you know special and a project, um, and would be just the perfect move for him. So I, I think Nick Pope is 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 in pole position as long as the move goes and he starts off well. I think he'll be the number three. Yeah, it's interesting. Newcastle fans, not overly excited because they were quite happy with uh, Martin Dubravka. I think it's a good bit of business uh, from Eddie Howe, another uh, English uh, player, and uh, they have uh, invested in quite a few of those. In fact, it will be the first time, I think, since World Cup 98 if uh, Newcastle can get two or more players in an England World Cup squad. I think they have every chance of doing so. A quick word, Scott, on Armando Broya, West Ham, the front runners for his signature, £30 million. Uh, I think it will take to price him away from Chelsea. Southampton, I know, are out of the running now, despite the fact he did reasonably well on loan at St Mary's last season. I know there are uh, one or two doubts maybe about his temperament, with that in mind, is that a lot of money for West Ham to be investing? Well, look, I mean, West Ham have needed a, a, a backup centre forward, haven't they? And if they'd have had one, who knows? Maybe Mikel Antonio would have been much sharper and maybe could have even, you know, taken them to the, the final in the Europa League itself. Um, the player, very good player technically. He's quick, he's strong. He, he would fit the build that what West Ham need. I think he would accept that Antonio would be the number one. But I think that uh, being in Europe, and it's, it's not the Europa League, but it's still in Europe, um, there would have to be rotation. So he would get game time. This is an interesting one, actually, for Todd Bowley, because, you know, we know that Marina Granaskaya probably would be playing hardball. What, what does he do here? Does he demand £30 million on, or nothing? But it is a lot of money. For, for West Ham and it's a lot of money for a player that had half a good season so David Moyes you know spends his money like it's his own to be honest with you so if he believes £30 million is worth it then I'd back him I'd say probably you know 20 but I wouldn't go above that uh, The last one I wanted to speak to you about was uh, Christian Eriksen Tottenham it looks like are edging away from the race for his signature I don't think he'll stay at Brentford now I think he would have signed for them uh, already had that been his intention. I know Manchester United are very keen. I got a text message late on Wednesday night saying, keep an eye on Newcastle uh, and mm-hmm. Christian Eriksen. If you were Christian Eriksen, where would you go? If if I were Chris, Christian Eriksen, I would be calling up Antonio Conte and say, please take me back. I know you're backing off, but look, I can do this. I, I think Spurs are going places. I really do under Conte. I think, you know, they wouldn't have finished fourth if he weren't the manager. I think the fact they're in the Champions League um, is just massive. And he wants to be a Champions League player again. He's been it before. He wants to be it again. But if Spurs were to back out and say no, do you know what, Crookie? I'd probably go for Newcastle over United. Again, we talk about... You're trying to wind me up. Well, I know. And I looked at your face as soon as you said that. And I'm not saying that to wind you up. But United's a massive, massive club. I mean, it's still one of the biggest in the world. But I just think Newcastle are going somewhere special and and, and he could be the star um, that, that could be built around it. You know, it's interesting because, you know, Eddie Howe's not looking to to bring in stars, but when you've got Christian Eriksen, who is on a free transfer, um, I just think, you know, 55,000 people up there regularly, you know, 100% behind the team now. Manchester United, as big a club as it is, and I still see it as one of the biggest clubs in the world. But, it's, you know, that's a two, three-year project for Ten Hag to try and turn it around. That's, that's, that's a titanic. That's not going to be a simple thing. So, look, United is, it will always be iconic, but I just think there's something special going on at Newcastle at the moment. And I would listen to both managers 
and I would make my decision from there. So I'm backtracking a little bit now, Cricky, because now the size of United is kind of in my head and, and where you, Newcastle are. But Newcastle are a massive club. They've got loads of money and they've got a very good manager who knows what he's doing as well. So it's a tough call. I, I'd listen to both clubs and see what they've got to say. But yeah, I, I don't see him staying at Brentford. I really don't. He strikes me as quite a humble uh, star as well, Christian Eriksen. Not unlike yourself, Scott. Um, thanks uh, for joining us today. Thanks to Aaron Lewis uh, as well and Shaban Ahern for lending us uh, expertise when it comes to the Lionesses. We'll be back on Monday reviewing that game uh, against the Netherlands and the build-up for the Women's European Championship will really start to gather pace. Uh, keep downloading, keep telling your friends and we'll see you next week. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to add in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.